Hi, I'm Matthew Kind. Every Monday, look for a fresh new episode where I'll take you behind the scenes and interview the insiders that are shaping the rapidly evolving cannabis industry. Learn more at cannainsider.com. That's C-A-N-N-A insider.com. Now here's your program. Today, we're going to learn how one entrepreneur uses his subscription cannabis accessories box to do research on what sells and how he's created a cannabis empire from it. I'm pleased to welcome Brian Gerber, CEO of Hemper, to the show today. Brian, welcome to Canna Insider. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate you having me on. I'm very excited to uh, discuss with you what's going on in the industry. There's a crazy world we live in nowadays. Indeed. <laughs> Give us a sense of geography. Where are you in the world today? So uh, recently, I actually moved to Las Vegas, and uh, I was living prior in um, California. But we're now we actually moved here like literally a week before COVID kind of hit. Uh, so now I'm we're here in Nevada. Sounds like a smart move. And uh, do you find yourself getting more flamboyant just by being in Vegas? Like you're wearing like a sequence uh, outfits, blue sage shoes, pink Cadillac, anything rubbing off on you out there? You hit it on the nail. Oh, I did. (laughs) (laughs) All those things? Wow, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) No, not, not too crazy. Obviously with, you know, everything shutting down, it hasn't been, we haven't gotten too wild yet, but you know, we're, uh, you know, getting back out there, you know, the Vegas, it's definitely, you can take advantage of that stuff or you can totally not take advantage of it. And luckily I live in like, you know, about 30 minutes away from the strip and all the action. So it's kind of a schlep to get there. Yes. Well, tell us what is Hemper on a high level? So Hemper is a direct to consumer discovery outlet for smoking accessories. It originally started as a subscription box uh, for discovering new smoking accessories. And then it kind of segued into a kind of a trusted branded marketplace at this point. Yes. And Brian, can you share a little bit about your background and journey and how you got into the cannabis space and started Hemper? Totally. So I... Got into the space early 2015. Uh, I think the inception for the idea was actually my last semester of college um, around 2014, probably November. Uh, It was, uh, I was studying at GW Accounting and Information Systems. Obviously, that has nothing to do with what I'm doing now. And personally, uh, you know, I was solving a issue that I had myself, which was, we, we, you know, it was, I was in Washington, DC. So, you know, it just went wreck. Um, and, you know, it was kind of a, you know, pain in the ass to get smoking supplies because I lived on, you know, one side of campus where they they didn't really sell any, you know, rolling papers or anything. So kind of just stumbled upon to this and, you know, was buying off Amazon for a while. And then I just kind of got fed up with that and said, here, let me just start my own thing. Was there any fear around that at all or like doubt? I know sometimes we have to overcome doubts like, hey, will this work? Is this uh, something I really want to do? Will they be able totally. to do inventory? Talk about totally. that a little bit. Yeah. So when I first started, obviously, you know, maybe maybe not some people have gone to college who are listening to this. And as we know, college doesn't really prepare you for too much in this world, specifically, you know, startup. <laughs> 
cannabis, e-commerce, you know, it's all new, right? So obviously when I was starting, everyone was like, oh, Brian's like, oh, he's just a stoner kid with a stoner idea, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was, you know, trying to explain to everybody. And, you know, I'll, also I had, you know, my parents that were like, okay, you're, you're applying to grad school, right? And, you know, you're going to go and all, you know, get your MBA or go to law school. And I was like, you know, I, I just, I, I know you don't quite understand what I'm doing, but, you know, it'll pay off. Trust me, this is better than an MBA, right? So, yeah. you know, during my last semester of college, I was, instead of studying for my finals, I was putting the Shopify website together and, you know, creating the logos and all that. And I think, you know, when I first jumped into it, you know, obviously there's so many things you don't foresee coming up, right? But I think, you know, just going into it with the confidence that I know that if I spend an obscene amount of time on something and I'm, you know, somewhat passionate about it, how could it not be successful, right? So I I think it's, you know, partly, you know, the fear is coming from exterior factors of like, people, you know, that are maybe even closest to you saying, Hey, I don't, you know, I don't know if you should really focus this much time into something like that. Or, you know, it just doesn't sound re some, a lot of things don't sound realistic to people. Right. And I like to say, and I I go around the office saying this all the time, manifest your destiny. Seriously. Yeah. Like you start speaking things into existence and you want to, you know, for example, you want to get in touch with that CEO at that company, or you want to get in touch with that investor manifest it, right? Go on LinkedIn, add them, send them a, you know, a quick message, get them interested. You know, I think that's really where I have a lot of like my my number one character trait is persistence. And so, you know, I had, you know, little startups when I was younger and, you know, I think just being personable and being able to talk to people and, you know, just kind of, I I was fixing a, uh, a simple problem with a simple idea. Right. Yeah. And the, everybody says to me, you know, keep it simple, stupid. Right. Yeah. So that's, I guess, in terms of fear, I don't, I don't know if it was fear. I think it was more of excitement, you know, it's like, you know, I, I know where I'm going, you know, people might not be able to see it, but I know. Right. And I think that's where people were just like, okay, you know, we'll just see what happens. Right. I guess, you know, I told them so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like the what's your how much what percentage honey badger DNA are you? Like the higher the better. You know, you just keep right. going, keep going. Like resilience and persistence and you just go go go. I call it the exactly. MacGyver quotient. I stole that from a a VC, but I don't know if you remember that show MacGyver, that guy yep. that could just get he that crazy mullet, he can just get anything done with the smallest amount of resources just cuz he's determined to. Yep, like, scrappy yeah. is the number one trait. Like I, and my investors talk about this. They, that's why they, you know, they love us. We're, we're scrappy. We're lean. You know, we, we get things done with, you know, basically, you know, a few people wearing a million hats. Yeah. And you have a really strong sense of brand, which I'm going to talk about later, which is kind of hard to cultivate. There's, I feel like there's something innate to people that can create it. And if, if you don't have it, you just don't have it, but you can build on it. If at least you have a spark and, and we'll revisit that that later. But I want to talk about now, what, what was kind of the first thing that you saw that worked where you said, Oh my gosh, this is starting to work. I'm, I'm sending out these cannabis accessories and I'm getting feedback. Like what, do you remember that moment? Uh, yes. So I think where the aha moment hit 
was probably about six months into the business. Uh, we had, you know, let's say a couple hundred subscribers on the subscription. And I came up with this whole guest curated concept where I would bring in an influencer or a celebrity of sorts. They would pick the items for a month. And then it would be as if you were smoking like them on your couch uh, for a month. And we initially pilot tested this with popular YouTubers, kind of in this, you know, in the cannabis community. And we initially started with a lady named Jane Rowe. And I don't think she does videos anymore, but she was like the queen of unboxings at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I contacted her and I was like, hey, Jane, you know, you, would you be interested in picking, you know, the, the items in a box one month and we'll deck out the, you know, the sleeve with, you know, custom artwork. And while at the time, custom artwork was a custom stamp from Uline <laughs> and we basically stamped every single sleeve. Um, and this, uh, basically she, you know, Jane started doing these promos saying, Hey, you know, get Jane's box. And it became this kind of joke. And, uh, it just hit. We went from you know a couple hundred subscribers to over fifteen hundred subscribers the next month, wow. and you know we went from processing you know maybe ten thousand dollars to over fifty thousand dollars in one month. So that was our like, whoa! This is the value add. This is the differentiator that we were you know we needed. The concept in general worked, but I think this catapulted the. Pro, like the hemper in general yeah. was through the influencer marketing and obviously you know not having a marketing background or influencer marketing or anything in digital strategy i just kind of stumbled upon this you know it was just a, an intuition right yeah. and so that was kind of our aha moment that's a great idea and really a great uh, that's like a case study in win-win when people say like what's a what's a win-win like that's a win-win. Like you're helping yeah. her help her audience and she's helping you. Like there's nobody losing there. And sometimes right. it's like, there's this fixed idea in mind. Like, well, if I win, someone else loses. And in this case, it's perfect that everybody wins. There's no loser. loser. It's not a zero sum exactly. game. So that's, that's, that was a brilliant idea. And you kind of, you've done a lot of, you know, interesting things here. Another thing I picked up when I was talking with you was about, Hey, like this was, I was thinking how you kind of use like a lean startup methodology here. Cause you had the subscription box, um, and you still have that, uh, the, the, the hemper box and you know, people, how many people get the hemper box now? Uh, so currently we have about 25,000 active subscribers. Okay. So like in the, the lean startup methodology, you do the minimum viable product test and you, you're kind of using your box in that way where you say like, let's see what the feedback is when we send out the box this month. And if people say they love an item or hate an item, you take that feedback. And if they love it, you kind of make it a permanent item in your store. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I think it was about 2016. Uh, we started you know, realizing that you know, the, we, the boxes were coming out faster than the market was making new stoner gadgets, right? Yeah. So we kind of took a step back and said, okay, you know, what is the evolution you know, of Hemper? Where are we going with this? What's the evolution of the box? Uh, and you know, I was doing a ton of research and this was right around, you know, right when like a, the subscription boom kind of happened. Really, I think if you, you, you got in 
around 2015 in terms of subscription, you're probably doing pretty well right now, right? So when I was doing my research, you know, I, I really focused on Birchbox. You know, they raised obscene amounts of money, never turned a profit. Why, right? You know, I'm basically in the same boat, just instead of makeup, it's, you know, smoking accessories, right? So what, you know, what they really attributed to, you know, one of their biggest failures was not investing in developing their own brands and products early on. And what they failed to recognize is that you could go to any major department store, whether it be Bloomingdale's, Macy's, Sephora, Ulta Beauty, and essentially purchase every single product that um, Birchbox had in their boxes directly from the store. Right? right. And I know that sounds counterproductive because people are saying online's the future, but why buy a sample thing when you can go buy the real thing? Right? right. So that's where I was like, you know, bing, you know, light bulb went off. I was like, oh, we need to start developing our own products and not just white labeling, which is what most companies do, really invest in our own cool kind of gadgets. Yeah. Right. And the way I started taking apart the industry was. I noticed that there were all these, you know, we call it, you know, six or seven niche markets, right? So all these different segments, there's glass, there's concentrates, there's vaporizers, there's cleaning gear, odor eliminating storage, you know, rolling papers and grinders and stuff. So what we started doing was really taking apart all these markets, uh, identifying the key players. So, you know, take the top three to five products and really dissecting them, you know, in, you know, in, in its entirety, and then coming up with better versions and innovating on top of it. So, you know, one way with basically, you know, coming into a new market, you either duplicate and innovate or you duplicate and lower the price, right? There's only a few things you can do. So we duplicated and innovated, right? We made things better, right? Because what we discovered was, the people developing a lot of these products may not actually be smokers, right? As, as much as we want to hope and think and wish that, you know, the Willy Wonka of smoking accessories designed this, you know, he didn't, right? Yeah. And for the first time, it was a group of, you know, millennials developing smoking accessories for other smokers, right? Yeah. We're the customer. And that was the differentiator was where we were like, we weren't just hard on ourselves, but if we didn't like it, why would our thousands of customers like it, right? Yeah. So we almost had our own internal focus group. And then once we started landing on some winners, you know, in terms of product, what we did was we tested it through the subscription service. So, you know, we would develop a new product, pay for all the mold fees, and then immediately get it into thousands of homes overnight. And, you know, as a startup, getting into, you know, we always thought the North Star was getting into thousands of stores, right? Yeah. But obviously, you know, fast forward five years, what is a storefront anymore, right? right. Like nobody even goes to it. Okay. So we didn't really focus on the wholesale side of our business. We focused on driving as much value at an affordable price for our community and our subscribers, yeah. right? So we put these products in the box, got initial feedback from thousands of people and whether they said, you know, they loved it perfectly hit it on the nail, or if they gave us feedback, we went back and retooled or changed things up 
um, you know, made things more user friendly or more, you know, uh, you know, cooler or this or that, you know, whatever it may be. But that was how we actually started developing our own catalog of products. And we call our subscription service almost like it's a Trojan horse, right? It, it's our way of developing products for this industry at an affordable and fast rate. Most companies don't have this luxury. A lot of people, you know, may have, you know, a couple thousand dollars just for an initial mold or an initial product run, you know, but they don't have the test market that we right. do. So I think that's where, you know, we really kind of, I guess, excelled was we were developing products for people who wanted products to be developed for them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So your secret sauce in a way, well, this is kind of like the Trader Joe's formula, like why Trader Joe's is still enduringly popular because they make their own products. You can't get anything they sell anywhere else, really. A couple, maybe 10% of the stuff there you can, but everything else is like their own niche. And they're kind of these fun products that you're just kind of delighted to, you know, to try. Exactly. This is, this is really smart. So in your mind is your secret sauce, your, that, that innovation you're talking about. So you have to really make sure you're on top of the game, you're top of your game, talking to other people in the community, talking to your subscribers, what they like, what they don't like, what they're thinking, how much, how much feedback are you getting monthly or through your team? Like how many people are you talking to and getting kind of the pulse of what their thoughts are? So it's a day by day thing, to be honest. Uh, And this industry particularly is very vocal, right? Because we have to remember that we are secondary to the plant, right? Mm -hmm. So people don't necessarily need these products, right? So we need to really make an effort to drive serious value when we're developing products. And, you know, we're not going to just, you know, come out with something half-assed, right? Mm Because our our customers will let us know if we did, (laughs) right? right? right. (laughs) So... You know, we have YouTube, we got content going everywhere. We have, you know, influencers, right? Like people wouldn't want to work with us if we weren't delivering real value, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, you know, we send out surveys, you know, our social media is so active. I mean, there's an action happening on it every second, right? Or multiple actions happening on every second. Uh, So there's no hiding (laughs) at this point, you know? So, you know, if the peanut gallery is coming out, they're going to find us and let us know, right? Um, so yeah. I think it's more of like being reactive to it because, you know, we know they're going to tell us, right? And yeah. I think it's more so like, okay, they love that piece. Awesome. You know, so every month we release new pieces, right? So every month, you know, when we do that first reveal promo, people will tell us, oh, you guys hit it on the nail this month. Oh my God, it's amazing. You know, or people will be like, Eh, I don't know about that one. I think I might skip this month, right? So it's in our best interest to develop things that are, you know, just so much cooler than what's out there, right? And so much more relatable, right? And that kind of goes back to we are the consumer, right? Like I would, you know, I I, the the day I wake up and say I wouldn't subscribe to Hemper is the day the box is no longer, right? So you know, we, we we continuously make it cool and fun and exciting you know, with different themes and influencers and collaborations and products. And that's really where people, you know, fell in love with Hemper was, yeah. you know, we, we really became that branded, you know, trusted marketplace. 
And we really did create brand equity where it, it is difficult to do that. And trust me, I didn't even know what I was doing when I first started, right? So, you know, if you ask me what a brand Bible was, you know, or, you know, just with like your logos and color swatches, I would have been like, yeah, no idea, right? Yeah. Obviously now it's a different story. So really kind of, I don't know, does it keep you up at night is that I just cannot have my subscribers be indifferent. Like that would be the worst thing is if they open up the box and they're indifferent to what's inside. Like, yep. oh shit. Like right. that's just a terrible sinking feeling. Like, uh, it's just okay. Not excited. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, I would hate that, you know, that, that, that's, you know, hempers my baby, right? It, it's something I've nurtured for five plus years and, you know, we've gone through ups and downs and, you know, jumps and hoops. And it's like, what, you know, why drop the ball now at this yeah. point, right? If anything, it should be getting, our capabilities should be increased at this point and it should always be a level up. And I think yeah. that's where re- people really genuinely appreciate us is yeah. where we keep leveling up, you know, the products and the quality and the designs and all of that. And we always keep it fresh, right? I don't know if you saw this month, but we have this really cool shark bong uh, in the box. And it almost looks like kind of like a, you know, like a Jaws type, (laughs) you know, um, you know, theme, right? And people are loving it, right? The smoke goes into the piece. It looks like the shark is smoking. Like (laughs) it's just, it's just fun, you know? And I think that's where people miss the boat where it's like, Keep it fun, keep it fresh, keep it exciting, keep it affordable, right? Yeah. I mean, you're really so tapped into this. Is there any desire by smokers and consumers, dabbers, to get online and consume at the same time? Or is it just like, no, it's just me and my friends or solo, like don't really want to be online, you know, connecting at the same time? I mean, maybe social media post, yes, but don't really want to be like on a Zoom or uh, some sort of other collaboration or uh, tool. What what are you seeing there? Yeah, no, interesting um, idea there. We've actually been thinking about this, you know, with everyone staying at home and trying to figure out, you know, there's obviously, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with like the YouTube bands, you know, with cannabis content, you know, they can't really freely make it anymore. Um, and then like the weed tube came out, which, you know, got some steam. And then I think kind of, they're just kind of stagnant at this point. And I think people are really looking for the next thing. And we've been really thinking about this and, you know, I early on, you know, there's apps called, you know, hi there and mass roots. And those were kind of the first wave of, you know, social media and connecting, but I think they missed the boat in terms of, I don't necessarily think that many people want to smoke with other people, you know, like that they don't necessarily know. Right. right? right, right, And, 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 you know, a lot of times people, you know, are in fear of losing their job or, you know, someone finding out that they didn't want to. So I think that's a whole thing, but kind of funny enough, and I'm going to bring this up, but last night we were actually having a little brainstorm session and we thought that it would be, well, I personally thought some people didn't think so you know, whatever, we'll go with it. A, almost like a smokers league. Okay. And I know, I know obviously telling people to smoke, you know, is not the best thing, but we it is what it is. Right. So where I thought would be cool is if we could basically set up almost like a kind of a, you know, call it whatever 
working title Smokers League, right? And basically it was a $5 a month subscription to belong to it. And it was almost like a combination between Twitch and Reddit where the community basically upvoted certain videos by different people based on different challenges, right? Mm. And the challenges would be randomized. So you don't even know what you're going to get. You could be the worst joint roller in the world, but you get the joint rolling contest, right? And, you know, for example, you know, maybe the joint didn't come out that great, but the video was hysterical, right? Yeah. So you got upvoted to first place, right? Yeah. And, and I really think that, you know, this would give people and there could be a charity aspect to it, you know, and I think that it could be a fun thing for people to kind of get into, you know, where they feel a part of a community and they're, you know, kind of interacting, you know, and I, I think, I don't know if this is the right move, this could be the start of something, but it, it's, I think people are looking for obviously entertainment and for some reason we love watching people, you know, inflict pain on themselves. So, you know, taking crazy bong rips and, you know, you know, I don't know who or what the solution is, but I think the community is 100% looking for something fun, right? I don't, I don't think it needs to be serious. You know, I think it'd be really cool with like brand partnerships and, you know, let's say like, you know, let's say you, you have a thousand submissions for this concentrate, you know, video or whatever, maybe. And then the, the video is sponsored by you know, so-and-so brand, right? And then the winner of that competition gets a, you know, free bong or an e-rig or something, right? I think people would pay $5 a month to belong to a community like this, where they get to interact with the challenge, they get to vote on it, you know, they get to do submissions of their own, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, that is really interesting what you're saying there. And I'll be curious to see how, you know, you'd experiment with that. And you've certainly got the audience to try something there. And you're right, on some of the larger video streaming platforms, you don't have the liberties that you need to make that work. So yeah, I'm curious to see what comes out of that. Totally. And, you know, where the kind of inspiration, I would say, you know, is sort of stemming from is not just from everybody being home, but, you know, one of my competitors, actually, um, Grass City, uh, they have a form that's been around for, I mean, it it could be 10, 15, 20 years at this point. And they have a seriously active, you know, uh, you know, uh, form on the website. And, you know, we're on Shopify, we can't really do the form. So that's kind of where it kind of stemmed from. Mm -hmm. Um, But it, it was more of like, you know, how do we connect the community in a fun way? Yeah, you know, Definitely. People want to be together, especially now with this COVID-19 thing. I think that's why like drive-ins are having a comeback. It's like, we're separate, but we're together. It's like these new kind of things mashing up. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely keep developing it, but yeah, I don't want to go, you know, topic too much. Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit about what you did with cones here, because this is like a incredible um, case study. Um, just talk a little bit about the cone market. What 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 are cones, and then what you did here with cones? Totally. So um, you know, obviously, uh, again, going back to my initial uh, thing about all the different segments of the market, and obviously, rolling papers and cones and rolling stuff in general is a very big market. And so, I would say about two years ago and early 2018 there was this massive cone shortage in the market. And for most people, they don't really know that uh, cones are all handmade. 
which is you know crazy, but it is. And there was really only a couple major factories that were developing cones or producing cones for this industry. And I guess you know, just as you know, cannabis sales go up. Well, you know, the more that goes up, the more you're going to need in packaging and pre-rolls and so on and so forth. So what we did was, you know, we got wind of this shortage and I was like, look, you know, we have the temper, we have the box. It's great. You know, let's diversify. Right. I, you know, I don't want to sell this for, you know, $20 million. I want to sell this for a billion dollars. Right. You know, that's what everyone wants. Right. They want the crazy big exit. So we need more tentacles. So early 2018, we get this wind of this uh, cone shortage. And I started doing research with my team. And we basically, it took us about six months, uh, figured out pretty much, you know, where the paper's coming from, or who the paper suppliers are, the glue, the, you know, the how to make it, um, all the certifications we need to really get into it. And, you know, a lot of people were talking about, you know, quality issues, right? And I was like, guys, if we're going to invest all this time, money, you know, why are, why are we going to half-ass it, right? We don't half-ass anything here, right? So we got, so it took us about six months, but we essentially opened up um, the first ever GMP, ISO, and Health Canada approved facility in the world. And what this means is we're basically rolling cones in a medical facility. Right, we we uphold a different standard of manufacturing than the other cone facilities in the world, right? Our, you know, because we're GMP certified, our, you know, our, we do we we pay fair labor wages, right? Most of the other facilities, you know, located in Indonesia, you know, may not pay fair wages, and you know, may not have you know eighteen plus people working there, and. We wanted to really do this right. And the community, the cannabis community in particular, is, you know, very conscious of, you know, people trying to bullshit their way through it. So we really wanted to make a point to come into the market with this new offering and really clean up the industry because that's what we had to do on Hemper. You know, there's, a, you know, not the most trustworthy people in this space, Right. You know, I'm sure everyone can remember, recall a time where they've got screwed over, you know, and I think that, you know, us going into it with, you know, whole heart and, you know, it, it's really, you know, coming out with something better. And again, going back to my initial thing where it's you either duplicate and innovate or you duplicate and go cheaper. Right. right, right. We duplicated and innovated. Right. So we now are actually one of the largest pre-roll cone manufacturers in the world. Uh, we operate 150,000 square feet of GMP certified cone manufacturing. We're the, again, the only GMP certified facility in the world. Uh, so, you know, we are just commanding most of the, you know, especially with regulation and compliance in the market, you know, increasing, you know, basically daily. It's, you know, a lot of the big multi-state operators, you know, buy through us because of our compliance. Um, and we also have a very strict 13-point uh, checking system before any cone even makes it to the market or a customer of ours. So we just have a different level and standard of compliance um, than most of the other facilities do. And that's why we're now producing an upwards of about 40 million pre-rolls per month uh, for this market. And we have demand for over 80 million. 
if you could believe that. Okay. So for people, you know, who aren't familiar with cones, most people listening are, but how do you describe it for someone who can't, you know, we're not in a visual medium here, but just go ahead and describe what a cone is. Totally. So traditionally you have a, you know, a rolling paper and you have a filter tip, you know, to roll a a pre-roll, right? So in this instance, we take the paper and then we roll it around a conical shaped filter tip, which means that it's a little bit wider at the top and skinnier at the bottom. And it's really rolled into a kind of an ice cream cone shape, kind of the same concept as, you know, the little sleeve over your ice cream cone. It's just like that. So we basically, you know, we have different components and we basically hand assemble them together. And uh, pre-rolls are becoming increasingly popular uh, throughout many different markets, uh, just in terms of, you know, the convenience factor. It's, you know, it's so easy now to buy like a little pre-roll pack. And what we're seeing in the market is, you know, Initially, they started, you know, traditional sizes are one gram pre-rolls or uh, 0.75 gram pre-rolls or half gram pre-rolls. But what we're now seeing is um, extreme popularity in these things called dog walkers, which are kind of mini joints where it could be anything from a 0.15 gram joint to a 0.35 gram joint. So we're definitely seeing a shift in the consumer habits um, and the consumption habits because, you know, one gram pre-rolls are becoming freebies at the dispensary, right? Yeah. It, 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 they're, you know, it's almost, we're seeing an evolution, you know, on the shelf, right? And yeah. it's going to continue going down that path. So a lot of people would look at this and say, hey, this is a low margin product. I don't want to I don't want to be involved in it, uh, but you took kind of a different tact and you just, you went right down to, you know, manufacturing this yourself, which you do now, but I mean, you don't really have a manufacturing background. So what kind of hurdles did you have here and how did you overcome them? Yes. So uh, definitely low margin or not low margin, just low cost, right? You're, you know, you're paying a couple pennies per cone, Right. But when you talk about making millions of them, pennies add up to dollars, right? Right. So I think um, in terms of this project, I really leaned on my two business partners, uh, Henry Kochar and RJ Singh or RJ Basin. And uh, they both have manufacturing backgrounds from their families uh, were in textiles for about 25, 30 years over in India. So we actually had a decent amount of resources and understanding in terms of like the processes for, you know, QC, QA, our AQL processes. Uh, so we actually, you know, in terms, we, we, we knew how to operate a manufacturing operation. We just didn't know how to make codes. Right. Okay. And was that process, that journey to like make a perfect cone difficult? It was, we went, we probably produced about 30 million okay cones before we produced one perfect cone. Okay. Okay. And then you're like, this is it. Let's let's make a mold around this one. Do exactly what you did with this one and we're good. Exactly. And (laughs) that we basically took that and said, okay, this is the golden sample. Everyone make it just like this. (laughs) Okay. 
And so you sensed that there was this shortage in the market. You're getting feedback. There's a shortage of cones. You go on this journey to start manufacturing them yourself. How long did that take then from to, to the time you were really confident in what you had? So we made our first batch and came to market, uh, I would say, September, October of 2018. Uh, we had some, you know, a lot of the bigger buyers in the space at the time were packaging companies uh, looking for cones and, you know, with Futurola and Raw being, you know, the number one brands and them not being able to fulfill uh, the, you know, the market demand simply because uh, they don't actually own their facilities. And I, you know, I think I mentioned to you this before, but, you know, that was another reason why we got into the cone manufacturing was because uh, a lot of times, you know, when uh, cannabis companies are, you know, price quoting out for jars or, you know, concentrate containers or mylar bags, they're probably asking about 10 other companies, right? They're, they're, they're looking for the best, cheapest price possible for what they're looking for. With us, there really wasn't that many cone manufacturers. And I think that because the, our competitors don't actually own their facilities, which is another thing in terms of compliance control and such, you know, just in terms of security, right? Like if something goes bad at, you know, uh, Futurola's facility, they can't really do much about it, right? right? They don't have control over it. They don't have their employees sitting there managing the facility, right? So I think the market just caught up to them where they were just selling and their lead times became like 15 plus weeks. And we just kind of swooped in and said, look, our cone is passable at the time. And uh, people bought into it and we started selling and we got feedback and, you know, some people said, Hey, they're great. Some people said, Hey, they're okay. And, you know, we took all of that into consideration, went back to the drawing board and said, okay, how do we make a perfect cone? And, you know, we just trial and error and change things up and, you know, we got there. And since then, you know, we're now producing, uh, like I said, you know, anywhere from 30 to 40 million pre-rolls a month right now, uh, for most of the largest entities in the space. Wow. So you kind of had that epiphany that, you know, you've talked about, which is if you control the price, you can never be kicked out of the market. Can you just talk about your ideas around that? Totally. So, um, this is a really big concept. And especially when you're dealing with commoditized products, you really need to take into consideration, right? So, most of the things that are being bought in the packaging realm, uh, let's just take glass jars, for example, right? So I could have a customer come to me and say, hey, you know, Brian, you, you guys do great on our cones. What can you do in glass jars? And I say, look, you know, Joey, you know, I can go get these glass jars for you and probably save you some money. And, you know, I'm thinking, okay, cool. You know, we already have this customer. This is going to be an easy layup. But on the back end, he's price quoting out 10 other glass factories or packaging companies. So my competition goes through the roof, right? I need to be, I'm making maybe 10% to really make this deal happen, right? While, you know, some of the other packaging companies are willing to even go essentially break even or negative margin at times we've seen in the space, right? So I can't, I don't own the glass factory, so I can't control the price, Right. I, 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 I don't I know my floor. Right. But with cones, my floor is whatever I want it to be. Right. So I control the price where if the market deems 
you know, the new price of the cone is going to be three cents or whatever it is, then I know that I'm going to be able to back up and figure out my overhead and my operating costs, how to get down to that, right? But for companies, you know, that are purchasing capacity, which is pretty much everyone in the industry other than us, purchasing capacity, they won't be able to maneuver like we can because we control the facilities, we control the price, right? So we can never be squeezed. But com- you know, our other competitors, they are always going to get squeezed because you know they're just bullying their facilities, right? right. So they're saying, hey guys, I want 20 million cones a month. You got to give me this price or I'm going somewhere else. Well, there really isn't anywhere else to go. <laughs> That's the whole thing. And most of the companies that, you know, are in the market don't want to deal with manufacturing. They don't have manufacturing backgrounds and they don't, they wouldn't even know what to do with a facility like this. Right. So I think that's where the epiphany moment was, where it was like, you know, Hey guys, like if we own and operate the facility and we control the price, no matter what happens in the market, we'll never get squeezed out, Yeah, but our competitors will. Right. Right. Allows you to sleep at night better. Any, any, exactly. and then you have this kind of philosophy now about how you can't be squeezed out. If you control the market, are you bringing that to any of the other uh, products where you're going to start being the manufacturer besides cones? Yes, we are diving into a ton of different stuff right now. Obviously with, you know, COVID there's been a ton of opportunities, um, you know, in the industry and we're actually, right now, um, you know, finishing out a, uh, a capital raise right now, because we're kind of tired of all of the opportunities, you know, we're passing on due to, you know, cash constraints and all that. And we do run a pretty lean operation still. So I think that you'll be seeing over the next, you know, 12, 24 months, we're going to be getting into a ton of new stuff. That's okay. going to be very exciting. Where, where are you in the capital raising process? You mentioned you're raising capital. Can you talk about that? Yes. So we are, um, you know, obviously pre COVID, you know, we started hearing winds of all of this stuff and, you know, our, you know, we talked to our investors and, you know, they're like, Hey, you know, team, you know, um, you know, hope for the best, but, you know, plan for the worst and cash is king right now. And luckily, you know, during COVID, um, you know, certain, you know, our cone operation did have to shut down, um, for a, a extended period of time due to India going down, um, but obviously with online sales, you know, ticking up, um, you know, it, it, there's a silver lining to all of this, right? So I think that in terms of, you know, where we're going, I think it's, there, there's just so much still that's untapped, right? Because I think the first wave of cannabis companies that we've seen come through really thought the endless cash wave was there, right? It wasn't going any, it wasn't going away. Everyone was like, oh, this is the tech industry. We're going to have billions available, you know, right? So like, let's spend, spend, spend. But, you know, we thankfully have an awesome, you know, uh, invest investment groups, um, you know, Evolution, Corporate Advisors, Greg Smith over there, unbelievable mentor and investor guy, literally does not lose. Uh, and Poseidon, you know, Morgan, Emily, unbelievable. You know, w- whenever we need a door opened or, you know, advice or whatever, they're there you know, at a moment's notice, right? So I think, you know, taking into consideration what they were saying was, hey, guys, cash is king right now. We got to, we got to, you know, basically plan for the worst, right? And, you know, we're also getting it from them. Oh, you know, we haven't, we're going to see 2.0. And so I think once we started getting wave of all of this, 
we started going to the market, seeing what was out there, right? And I think a lot of people were trying to figure out, you know, where the market was. And I think, unfortunately, uh, you know, with some of the bad apples, you know, I don't want to call it any names, but, you know, companies like MedMen, where it's like, everyone thought they were going to be the end-all be-all, and it's not, you know, people are starting to question the market, right? And question the comps when you come in and say, oh, I'm worth 50 million plus, da-da-da-da-da. And they're looking at the comps in the market and they're saying, no, you're not, because look, this company does X, Y, and Z, and they're only worth this, right? right? So I think, you know, we're still in that cleanup duty phase where, you know, and I was on a call the other day with a couple of investors and, you know, they, they called them, you know, the cl- can of clowns, you know, are now being moved out of the market to make room for companies like Hemper to come in and really do things right, you know? Yeah. So I think um, in terms of where we're at, uh, you know, we, we've gotten offers, we have term sheets out there, you know, we're not biting at the first thing. Uh, we're really, um, this round uh, specifically is a major growth capital round. And it also is very important. We bring on very strategic partners uh, this round, you know, that will really help us take this business to let's, you know, call it a 200 million plus exit. Right. Okay. And I think that's, you know, where we're currently at. And so, so I don't forget here, is there a way for accredited investors to learn more about this? Uh, yes. Uh, so I guess technically they could email me. Uh, we don't have like a website or anything that for this, um, it's more, you know, a private thing. Um, but if anybody's in the market and, you know, isn't an accredited investor uh, and thinks they can add value, totally reach out to me. Okay. And how can they do that? Uh, you can send me an email. Uh, we'll call it Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, at hemper.co. Okay. Hemper's H-E-M-P-E-R-E-R.co, right? Hemper. Correct. Okay. Yes. Well, Brian, I want to pivot to some personal development questions here. Is there a book that's had a big impact on your life or way of thinking that you'd like to share? A book. This is such an interesting topic. Um, I, I had an interview a couple of weeks ago about this. So I am actually probably the worst person to answer this question because I don't read books. Okay. Well, how about this? Is there, is there a piece of advice that someone give, has given you that has stuck with you that you think about now and again? Oh, totally. Um, you know, throughout the last five years, I've, you know, been very fortunate to find, you know, mentors in the space, uh, you know, that really have helped me, you know, guided me, you know, helped me figure out different situations. And I think, you know, just touching on that, that's really important is to find, you know, people who really want to help you genuinely. Right. And so, um, I guess in terms of one specific thing, uh, to carve out, I guess, honestly, you know, I guess we'll just go with what is current right now. And it's plan for the, you know, hope for the best plan for the worst. Right. And, you know, just when you think things are going great, that's when there's a saying that, you know, when things are going great and, you know, you stop worrying, that's when the paddle smacks you right in the ass. (laughs) So never stop worrying is the advice. Exactly. That's, that's, that's good. I, I don't know if you know the internet marketer, Noah Kagan, but he keeps something called the kill list. And that's the different ways that his business can die. And then he mitigates it proactively. Yep. 
Exactly. So I have a running, I do something similar, actually. I have a running list of all of our, basically our vulnerabilities and basically all of our problems. And I basically match the problem to the vulnerability. And I say, guys, if we don't fix this problem, we're going to be vulnerable to someone coming in and taking over. Yeah. I think your favorite book will be Anti-Fragile by Nassim Taleb. There, boom. I just named okay. your favorite book. You don't even you don't even know it, but, <laughs> but based on your answer here about your you know the best advice, so that that is good advice. So let's move on to a couple other questions here. I know you're you're sweet, you're becoming a Mac user, but is there any other kind of tool or collaboration, you know, digital tool or anything else you and your team use that you feel like, hey, if I didn't have it, it would be a big setback to our productivity. So what's your most you know you're the tool that helps you most with team productivity. Uh, team productivity. So we use a couple, I would say, uh, for all of our planning and projects and, you know, to-do lists and all of that stuff. Uh, we use Asana. And so it kind of as our workflow management. And then uh, we internally use Slack extensively, um, you know, just for communication between different parties and groups and, you know, people in different offices. And I think, you know, that communication is the biggest thing, especially now that we're working in this kind of remote environment. Uh, so I would definitely say Slack, Asana, and I think that would probably be pretty much it in terms of productivity and, you know, just making sure everyone stays on track. I think it's, you know, really important to, um, you know, kind of mention this, that, you know, I use a lot of different stuff to stay on track, but I think you know, email is as simple as it still is. It's basically your everyday to-do list. And I think that's where I strive the most and where I make it a serious point for, you know, not just my sales guys, but anytime we're conversing with, you know, even externally with other organizations, I make it a serious point to respond back to emails quickly right? Yeah. People want responsiveness, right? They want to know you're on the, you know, you're, you're, you're on it. Right. So I think that's a big thing is, you know, just, you know, getting back to people, clearing your emails, just not feeling overwhelmed. Right. And just diving into it. Right. Yeah. yeah. One thing I'm trying to do is to make my emails as short as possible. And I really appreciate it. Some people have a knack for making their emails as short as possible. So now I make it so that if the person only reads the first sentence and reads nothing else, they know why I'm contacting them and what I want and yep. what I can do or I can do for them either way. And it's like, oh, I, if, if, if this is great. I don't have to read this other thing, but if I need additional detail, I can get it down below. Totally, totally. Well, here, final question for you, a Peter Thiel question. What is one thought that you believe to be true that most people disagree with you on? One thought that I believe to be true that everyone disagrees with me on. Yeah. I did not prepare for this one. <laughs> I, I, maybe maybe uh, you believe Bigfoot still exists. Elvis is still alive. Any of those right. are fair game. You know what? I'm going to sell this business for a billion dollars. Boom. Wow. I like that. He goes on record. That is, that is, that is gritty. Well, I think that's a great place to end a billion dollar ending. So Brian, you gave out your email before, give it out one more time and also give out your website for people that are interested in getting a cannabis accessory, accessory subscription box. 
Totally. So uh, if you're looking for uh, any cannabis accessories or discovery outlet, that would be uh, hemper.co, H-E-M-P-E-R.co. And then if you're looking for uh, pre-rolled cones for anyone that's you know listening in, that would be uh, harasupply.com. That's H-A-R-A supply.com. And then my email is brian, B-R-Y-A-N, at hemper.co, H-E-M-P-E-R.co. Well, Brian, I love your honey badger uh, quotient here. It's really high. And I think there's great things coming for Hemper, already a successful business, but even more. So good luck to you and everything you're doing in 2020 and beyond. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, I look forward to coming back on uh, maybe post-raise. All right. If you enjoyed the show today, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever app you might be using to listen to the show. Every five-star review helps us to bring the best guest to you. Learn more at cannainsider.com forward slash iTunes. What are the five disruptive trends that will impact the cannabis industry in the next five years? Find out with your free report at cannainsider.com forward slash trends. Have a suggestion for an awesome guest on Canna Insider? Simply send us an email at feedback at cannainsider.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please do not take any information from Canna Insider or its guests as medical advice. Contact your licensed physician before taking cannabis or using it for medical treatments. Promotional consideration may be provided by select guests, advertisers, or companies featured in Canna Insider. Lastly, the host or guests on Canna Insider may or may not invest in the companies or entrepreneurs profiled on the show. Please consult your licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Final disclosure to see if you're still paying attention. This little whistle jingle you're listening to will get stuck in your head for the rest of the day. <laughs> Thanks for listening and look for another Canna Insider episode soon. Take care. Bye-bye.